Well, why don't you grab your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 10 for tonight's Through the Bible Study as we keep plugging away scriptures. Matthew chapter 10. When it was built for an international exposition in the last century, um, the structure was called monstrous by the local citizenry. The city that it was being built in, they demanded it to be torn down as soon as the exposition was over. Um, yet from the very moment of its, uh, you know, in, uh, thinking through the architect that made this structure, um, he took pride in it and was loyal and defended his own design to the, to the death, really. I mean, he was, he was so much uh, into his building, uh, he defended it from those who wished to destroy it. Um, but he knew it was destined for greatness. Today, his structure is one of the most uh, famous architectural wonders of the modern world and stands as the prim primary landmark of Paris, France, the Eiffel Tower. I've been in the Eiffel Tower a couple times. Uh, the, the last time I was there, the elevator broke down, and so we had to hike up to the top. It was actually taller than you'd think, but uh, the thing is giant. Uh, if, you know, if you've seen pictures of the Eiffel Tower, you think, oh, that's big, but wait till you see it in real life. Um, and it is kind of a cool structure. His famous tower was built in 1889. Um, but, you know, the thing that catches me about that is, you know, the, the locals hated it. Now it's, it almost defines Paris. If you see the city of Paris, you always see the Eiffel Tower or the Tower Eiffel, as they call it there in Paris. Um, uh, in the same way, you know, I think, um, you know, the Eiffel Tower is destined for greatness. I, I find it kind of in the same way, the way Jesus and the gospel and Christianity starts very, very humbly. And a lot of people, well, they actually really hated it. They didn't want anything to do with Jesus or his disciples or anything about the church that was being started. I mean, the gospel really is the beginning of the church of Jesus Christ, when you think about it. But there was a lot of people that were very opposed to the whole thing. And in the same way, you know, we're stuck by Jesus's loyalty to another structure, the structure of the, the church itself. And one of the things that we see here is it's humble beginnings. Um, it's, it's interesting, you know, um, <laughs> the Eiffel Tower, by the way, uh, there were some people that gave their designs and their ideas. Um, I've actually got a picture of all the various designs that came in for the ta Eiffel Tower. Uh, it's kind of funny. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the number three there has kind of the Eye of Sauron vibe going on there uh, for you uh, Lord of the Rings people. Um, but uh, number nine, 10, and 11 there looks like the Tower of Babel. That was probably a bad idea. Um, although it would fit sort of uh, France. But anyway, um, no, sorry if you're French here. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, it's just kind of funny, the, the various designs. And you look at these, and, well, that wouldn't have really been the Eiffel Tower. You know, we see the finished product. We go, oh, what an amazing structure and all that. In the same way, the church, there's other people's ideas of what the church should look like and all that. But here in the Gospels, we're seeing what Jesus really wanted to do. And what we're gonna do is see the humble beginnings as Jesus now calls his 12 disciples. In the first section of this chapter, we're gonna observe the 12 being called into the ministry. And this is uh, interesting because, you know, sometimes that things like, you know, that start small and not grandiose can actually come out to be big. In fact, how many movies have been made with that theme? Someone who was nothing, nobody, had nothing going on, and then all of a sudden you see greatness 
and they move on into greatness. And, and we, you know, humanity loves that kind of story. Um, but in some ways, this is the story of the gospel because the humility of Christianity in its beginnings, <laughs> I mean, think about it. You know, if you're God and you're gonna visit humanity, how do you do that? Do you go with fancy technology and bowl everybody over and go, watch this, and then come in, <laughs> come in with like a, you know, a, you know F, F-18 or something and land in Jerusalem back in the first century. Uh, you know, or something like that, something really cool. Uh, but he didn't do that. He came as a babe born in Bethlehem, lying in a manger. Like who would have guessed that one? But, you know, started with that. Jesus was baptized, you know, in, in a small little river. You know, a lot of us think of the mighty Jordan River and Jesus was baptized in it. You know, if you basically take the Tualatin River, if you took a picture of the Tualatin River, some people, if you'd show them a picture in Jerusalem, they'd say, oh, that's the Jordan River. Uh, it really is not much bigger than the Tualatin. It's about the same, maybe smaller actually. Um, it's not, and it's, it is muddy like the Tualatin River. It's not even that pretty in some ways. <laughs> it's kind of a funny thing. There's catfish in the Jordan. I always don't show the people I'm baptizing in the Jordan River. I don't show them the catfish until after the <laughs> baptism. The catfish are, uh, oops, I better switch this out. I'm gonna grab this microphone right here. Voila, does that work? Is this on? Tasting, tasting, one, two. There we go, okay, good. Good to go now. Um, so uh, with all that said, you know, the, the, even the, we've talked about the grandiose, you know, Sea of Galilee, um, and really it's actually a lake and stuff like that. The gospel really starts out small and humble, but maybe its most humble beginnings were the 12 disciples that Jesus chose. That's something we, we have to kind of almost chuckle at. Um, Jesus is going to choose his 12, um, and much like the beginnings of Christianity, it's not going to be, you know, impressive guys or grandiose. Um, you know, if you were choosing the guys to, to start the Christian church, who would you choose? I'm pretty sure most of us probably wouldn't have picked the disciples. And where would you have looked? Well, that's the thing. Um, he's going to choose the apostles. Let's take a look. Verse 1 of chapter 10 starts out. And when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and heal all manners of sickness and all manner of disease. Now the names of the apostle, the 12 apostles are these. Now before we get into the 12 apostles, let's just talk about the word apostle. Uh, some of you that are new to the Bible, what's an apostle? What's an epistle? Is there a difference between an epistle and an apostle? What's the deal? And, and the, the whole apostle epistle thing, it gets confusing. Uh, but I want to clarify some things. The word apostle um, comes from the Greek word. Uh, the original word is um, uh, apostolos, uh, where we get our word apostle. Um, and, you know, depending on what dictionary you look up, you know, it, it's like this, this is the, uh, you know, a delegate, a messenger, one sent forth with orders. But the most basic, uh, you know, probably is that part being sent, one sent. You can, you can almost make that the definition. Some dictionaries just, you know, in the Greek dictionaries I have in my library say, sent out one, um, one who was sent out. And by the way, this word outside of the Bible is kind of interesting because the Bible only uses this word um, um, apostolos uh, in, in the sense of sending out like a disciple as we know them. But if you read like some of the other uh, Greek works like Homer, uh, he uses the word apostolos like uh, when a ship is commissioned to go out from, you know, Greece and, sh you know, ship away into the Mediterranean, that ship was um, apostolos, sent out. 
uh, with a commissioned, you know, uh, like orders and, and orders that were to be followed. Um, so it's kind of interesting how the Bible sort of takes the word apostolos and uses it kind of in its own way to talk about the sending out of um, the, the followers of Jesus. And this is kind of important, you know, so someone or something sent is the idea of the word apostolos. Um, and it's derived from the verb to send out. Um, now, uh, the New Testament use of this word is, is uh, referring to someone sent out um, or authorized by Jesus himself is kind of the general uh, use of the word apostle. If you were sent by Jesus, uh, you would be called an apostle. And that's why these 12 are called the apostles because they were sent out literally by Jesus. Jesus sent them out. Question, why then did Paul the apostle call himself Paul the apostle? Anybody? Yes, because he was sent out by Jesus. Um, so you say, okay, great. When you remember the stories on the road to Damascus and the Lord you know, knocked him off his high horse uh, and Paul's laying on the ground, who are thou, Lord? Uh, and he says, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And from that day forward, Paul became the apostle and Jesus sent him out. And now Paul was no longer persecuting the Christians, but actually a follower of Jesus. Great story. We'll get there in a few weeks when we get to the book of Acts. Uh, <laughs> but... Um, but as it turns out, um, you know, there's kind of layers of apostles. And, and this is something you should know because there's a lot of confusion and disagreement within church history of the word apostle and what it actually means. But I'm gonna do my best to kind of share with you what I've seen and what I've kind of learned over the years because people use the word apostle and some people kind of, uh, I think some people get angry about the use of the word. The first and number one apostle of all of ever time would be Jesus. And the reason we say Jesus is actually called an apostle in some contexts is because he was sent, literally sent by the Father. And he was sent out. And Jesus said, I always do the will of my Father. Um, and that's kind of important. So the ultimate apostle, if you would, in your, in your reading of the Bible, think of it as Jesus as being the one sent out, apostolos. The, the first layer after that, so you got the ultimate apostle, Jesus. The, the, the layer of apostles that's most common, though, would be the 12 sent out by Jesus himself here in chapter 10 of the book of Matthew. Paul gets that list, and boy, we could talk about Matthias and whether he should have been uh, the guy that was replacing Judas Iscariot when he uh, hung himself. And, you know, the, they sort of elected a, a new guy to fill in Judas's place, but you never hear from that guy ever again. Uh, but you do hear from Paul, the apostle. And, and sometimes I think maybe those guys made a mistake in voting. Uh, uh, that's not really a, a technique in the early church that you ever see actually being approved by God. Uh, let's all vote. Uh, and that's why at Athey Creek, we don't have committees. We don't have voting people and church votes and stuff like that. Because that's not the way the early church was run. It was by a group of men governing the church together, not voting. Even the governing elders don't vote. They have a plurality where they agree 100% with each other before they make a decision. Uh, how do you get anything done that way? Well, that's the miracle of church leadership, in my opinion, is to have a group of men that all get together and make a, come to a plurality of agreement. So, um, so anyway, they voted and, and they didn't get Paul, but I think Paul was the 12th apostle, if you would, after Judas. Uh, that's just, a, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself on that in our study. So the first apostle of the 12s, you might add Paul to that. And then after, so you got Jesus, the 12 apostles, and then there were others that were sent out by the apostles. And this is where it gets a little sketchy. Like, can you be an apostle if you were sent by an apostle? Well, I think the answer is yes. Um, but you have to be careful with this, and I'll tell you why. Um, because there's people that go around saying, I learned I'm an apostle of the Lord. 
And if they're saying that, just go wacko. Like if they're acting like that and stuff, there's people that say, I'm an apostle. And, um, and usually today, if somebody's going around saying I'm an apostle, it means something weird. Um, I don't know how else to say it. Uh, sorry if that, if that offends you because I had an apostle brother so-and-so who called him. I came from a church that apostle. Yeah, but if it, was a, if it was a status thing, well, he's an apostle. So what are you gonna say about that? That's not what an apostle is. Someone who's the ultimate authority on something or someone who's got the final word on God. Um, usually the apostles have been smoking too much weed today. Uh, that's what I grew up with, honestly. Like I grew up with all these hippies and they were out smoking weed and they became Christians. Like I'm an apostle and I've been called separate from you, you know, and it got weird. Um, like when phones ring in the church, that's really, really, really weird. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. Um, but, um, but anyway, all that to say, uh, you know, so there are others who were, who were called apostles. For example, you could argue that Timothy was an apostle and Silas and Barnabas. These are guys that were sent out by apostles. And so there's an argument there. Um, and, and then, and then there, there's kind of a fourth tier uh, that goes outside of the Bible. And this is where uh, you have to be careful. But I do believe in a sense, you and I are apostles. Uh, well, Brett, you just said there's a bunch of weirdos saying they're apostles. Well, that's, that's true. But if we look at it as the church of Jesus Christ, all of us are called and sent out, aren't we? Um, the Bible says, you know, the Lord has chosen you and have ordained you for ministry. And, and the, the, the great commission is go ye into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples, baptize people. That's what an apostle does. Jesus gave us that sending out us, all of us, before he ascended into heaven. So in that sense, yes, we're all apostles. If you're a Christian, you've been given that challenge, that call to be sent out to share the word at work, at school, in your neighborhood, just to be apostles in that best sense of the word, sent out by the Lord. Um, so there's kind of a, a description because we're gonna see the word apostle a lot here in the New Testament as we're studying through. So um, all that to say, uh, back to you know this, this point number one, the 12 are called, and let's take a look at the 12 that Jesus picks. So it says in verse two, um, now the names of the 12 apostles are these. The first, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, uh, the publican, <laughs> James, the son of Alphaeus and Lebaeus, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. <laughs> when we read this list, it's, it makes me chuckle. Just all these guys, uh, Matthew, the publican, like, like that'd be like, you know, I mean, I don't know. People hate, remember we talked about this a few weeks ago. People hated publicans. And it'd be like, you know, who'd you choose for your campaign and your political run this year? Uh, I got this guy and he was a KKK member. Uh, people would be like, what? He's a, who wants that? Uh, well, I'm not gonna say anything about that. Um, uh, there are people that actually do that, but um, that's horrible. Uh, you wouldn't want that in your resume or on your campaign, you know, team. Uh, you know, so you got, you got Matthew the publican and then, you know, the, the names just get, you know, the, kind of even crazier, you got Judas Iscariot, obviously we know that, but Simon the Canaanite, uh, that's, that's kind of something. Now the word uh, Canaanite, see there's, there's some things about these, uh, you get confused when you read the gospels, is it Simon or is it Peter? 
You know, uh, is it James the Less or James the, the, the Great or whatever? What, which one is it? Well, let's just kind of break some of these down. The 12 disciples, we start with Simon Peter. Simon was given, uh, of course, the name uh, Peter by Jesus later on in the story. But we all know him as, as, as Peter. Um, you know, you got Andrew, uh, who's the, Peter's brother. And we don't know a lot about Andrew. The only thing we know about Andrew is he was constantly bringing people to Jesus, including his brother Peter. Like we wouldn't have Peter if it wasn't for Andrew. So you gotta love the Andrews in the world. The guys and girls that are kind of quiet, not maybe the ones speaking publicly in front of the whole crowd, but maybe behind the scenes, sort of one-on-one. -on -one, uh, you know, a lot of times you wouldn't have the Peter if you didn't have the Andrew. I love that about Andrew. Um, you have James uh, and John, and they go together because they're the sons of Zebedee. And um, <laughs> these guys were known for uh, their fiery tempers. It's funny because we think of John, oh, that's the most beloved apostle. Uh, and he's the mystic. He's the, uh, the, the spiritual one all the time. But he also had a temper before he met Jesus. Uh, and even maybe a little bit while he met Jesus. Uh, but um, you got, so you got James and John. You got Philip, uh, Bartholomew, uh, also called Nathaniel. And that's where, you know, it gets kind of confusing when you're reading the various gospels, which names you're talking about. Um, you've got Thomas, uh, who's also called, anybody know the other name for him? Didymus. And he's also called Doubting Thomas, uh, which I think that's an unfair uh, thing to say to Thomas. And Thomas, you can thank me when I get to heaven because I'm arguing that you were not doubting Thomas. In fact, when you read the story, um, Thomas was a very faithful and faith-filled guy most of the time. He did say that when they all believe it, when I can see it. And that's where he got the, the sort of the title, Doubting Thomas. And I get that. But, um, but at the same time, I'm gonna show you that there's more times where he actually had great faith. Um, and I, I wonder if Thomas is up there having doubting Thomas, come on. Like, really, you guys, it's, it's 2022, figure it out, you know. Um, I wonder, I don't know. Uh, and you got Matthew, who's also called, what was Matthew's other name? Levi, right? And he was, he, it's, you know, you, you got, um, you know, Levi the publican. Uh, that's what Luke called him. Um, and here, Matthew even calls himself a publican. Members, when we, when we met Matthew earlier, um, we saw that Matthew called himself just Matthew a man. Uh, but now he kind of admits, yeah, Matthew the publican. That's kind of interesting. Uh, James, who's uh, the son of Alphaeus. Don't know a lot about James, the son of Alphaeus. Uh, Thaddeus, also called Lebaeus. Uh, not Judas, uh, or Judas, but not Judas Iscariot. If you ever hear of uh, Judas that was not the one that betrayed Jesus, we're talking actually about Thaddeus. Uh, it gets confusing, I know. We'll, we'll sort this out as we keep going. And then you have the other Simon, uh, who's called the Zealot, or the Canaanite here. Uh, depending on what translation you have. What was a zealot, and why is he called a Canaanite here? The, the word is better, zealot, and the reason is that describes a group of people, Jews, that were oftentimes uh, ready to go to war. They were ready to, you know, kill Romans. Get out your sword and kill Romans because they're, they've overtaken their city, their country. Um, and you have to understand, you know, you, you, you can't, I, I, I think I grew up thinking, oh, these horrible zealots that wanted to kill Romans, but you gotta remember the Romans were horrible to the Jews and they took over their whole country and the Romans under the iron fist of Rome for, uh, you know, hundreds of years, you know, it's kind of an amazing thing uh, that the Jews even survived that. But there were the zealots who said, we're gonna do a hostile, you know, takeover, insurgency kind of thing. And the zealots were part of that. And then of course you have Judas Iscariot who would be the one. We don't know much about Judas other than he was the treasurer of the disciples, but he was also a thief 
and stole money, skimmed money off the disciples' treasury. And we also know that he was the one ultimately who would betray Jesus. Um, and that's kind of a, uh, you know, an interesting. Now, now, I wonder when you first get to this group of guys and you walk into this group, so what's the first thing you notice? Probably the rancid smell of dead fish. Because some of these guys were fishermen from Galilee there. They were guys that would, you know, and, and in Bible times, you know, uh, if you've ever traveled to third world countries, um, you know, a lot of, one of the first things a lot of Americans notice is, wow, um, there's not as much concern about odors as we are concerned about odors. Here in America, we don't like to smell odors and we're very opposed to that body odor and fish odor and stuff like that. One of my favorite things to do when we go to Jerusalem is to walk, uh, if, if anybody's willing to go with me, to walk through the fish market in the old city of Jerusalem and the meat market. Um, and, and usually we have two or three people who end up throwing up as we walk through because the smells are powerful. And there's stuff in there, like, you know, a, a real delicacy there is camel head. And so you can walk by this store, and these camel heads are just kind of hanging there, and the blood's dripping out uh, as they're kind of waiting for the perfect time to eat the camel's head, uh, you know, or whatever. Uh, it's kind of it's weird. In other countries, it's just different. Uh, but, uh, but these guys, uh, no doubt, were, you know, uh, several of them were fishermen, at least. And so you'd probably see this. Um, and you'd also see these guys wouldn't necessarily get along. Uh, you know, especially, think about it. Matthew, who worked for the Romans and was paid and ripped off the Jews. And then you got Simon the Zealot. Do you think those two guys were just like, cool, man, I'm glad you're part of the team. Like, I wonder about that dynamic. Like, because uh, in some ways, of, of anybody who would want to kill a guy like Matthew, it would probably be Simon the Zealot. Um, they, they wanted to kill. Remember, that's why the, the Romans would often give a centurion to the tax collector or the publican because he was ripping off his, his countrymen. And so the Jews would want to kill the tax collector. And so they'd, they'd give a Roman guard to, to Matthew. But now there's Matthew without his Roman guard. And what is he going to do with Simon the Zealot? Well, good news, Jesus is there. So better than a Roman guard. And, and Matthew's being transformed as is Simon the Zealot. So that's what we're gonna see. A bunch of kind of losers, guys that are less than, and we're gonna see how the Lord actually says, this is the team that I'm gonna use. You know, if you were the one to go pick the disciples, would you have gone to the seminaries today? Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I, um, I gotta confess, people, people, sometimes people assume I went to seminary and I didn't. Uh, I got a degree in education and teaching school. Um, and then I, I thought about going to seminary. I even visited seminary and uh, went, went to some classes and stuff only to see that this is not for me. Um, one of the first things I saw in seminary was uh, the denying of the infallibility of the word of God, you know, and these professors. And I'm gonna be really brutal because I, I, I know that there's some good seminary professors. And by the way, I've got to give credit to seminarians because they're the guys oftentimes that I read. Like I study commentaries and books that are written by the boring guys. Uh, and like old J. Vernon McGee said, I, I kind of feel like this is my job. J. Vernon McGee said, and he was a seminary grad, by the way. Um, J. Vernon McGee said, I like to be the guy, I'm not the smartest guy, but I like to bring the hay down from the loft. And, uh, and that's kind of my job. That's what I want to do. Um, so I like reading some of the Brainiac guys, theologians over the centuries. Usually the guys I like are all dead. Um, 
But, um, but when, I, when I was able to attend these classes, they were denying the infallibility of the word or the inspiration of scripture. And, and then also I noticed, this is, just, this is where I sound kind of brutal and I don't mean to be, but there's a lot of guys that went to seminary, got their MDiv or whatever, and then they, they went out and tried to be pastors and failed. Uh, they were not good at pastoring, shepherding, teaching in a congregational setting. And so they said, well, since I can't do that, what do I do with my MDiv? Go and teach at seminary. So these guys that failed in ministry are teaching young men who are supposed to go out in ministry. So um, I'm just saying, if you're thinking of ministry, I'll tell you what, in, in my humble opinion, to kind of get to do what I did. See, I was, I, I was, while I was going to college and got my degree in education, um, I was also working full-time at a church, uh, 40 hours a week in church while I was taking 18 credits at Southern Oregon University. It's a great juxtaposition. Secular university, it was pretty much a miniature Berkeley and then working for a church. Uh, that was a good kind of a, a, a B comparison. But I found it to be helpful to be in the ministry learning from a bunch of brothers and sisters around me who were actually engaging and doing successful ministry work. And I was able to sort of be uh, you know, just buried in ministry opportunity with accountability and people teaching and helping and showing. And, and it was, I, I would say it's a hundred times better than a uh, seminary. And, and also, uh, if, if you're a person who doesn't like to study, um, then you probably shouldn't be a pastor anyway. If you don't like reading the Bible, probably not what you're called to do. Um, but these, these seminaries, you know, they get people and they make you study things that they want you to study and stuff like that. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just really thankful for the, the little humble path the Lord allowed me to be a part of. And if you're into, interested in ministry or serving or starting a church, which we need that, we need churches planted. You know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be, you know, biased about athe, but I'm just saying there's a scarcity of verse by verse, chapter by chapter, Bible teaching churches. There, there's Every town in America needs one of, the, uh, one of these churches, um, but they're almost nowhere. Uh, that's the sad thing. Even 20 years ago, I could say, oh, I can show you a bunch of type Bible teaching churches, you know, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, 30 years ago, even more. But today, almost none. Uh, it'd be interesting to know what the number, uh, I heard somewhere like in the 80s that there were 2% of churches were chapter by chapter, book by book, uh, verse by verse through the Bible. Um, to me, maybe I'm biased, I don't know. And, and there's good churches that don't teach through the Bible. I'm not knocking churches that don't do that. I'm just saying there's a real hunger for that and people are hungry. What does the whole Bible say? Not just your favorite verses. What does the whole Bible teach? Um, so uh, if you're wanting to go start a church, here's my advice. Um, get plugged in here. Uh, start volunteering um, and start with the humble stuff. Um, you know, I started teaching uh, first graders in our Sunday school when I was a kid. And then I, you know, helped run sound in the back. I was a sound man uh, for a large church and then, uh, you know, did a little bit of everything else. Uh, and by the time I left there, I was an assistant pastor for 13 years and I had done everything from, you know, I already did 500 weddings, probably 100 funerals. Um, I, by the time I left there, I'd already uh, been in church leadership and making decisions and I had to kind of learn how that worked. And, and uh, I'm just really thankful for that. Uh, so if that's what you want, then, then plug in at Athey, start as a volunteer, get to know our pastoral team and start engaging. And as, if the Lord is in it, he'll, he'll pave a path for you in that area. Men or women, I, I would say, to, to be in, in ministry of various kinds. Uh, it's very important to kind of plug in that way. But, you know, today, most people go to seminary to find the, the pastor or Hollywood because you need good-looking people. Surely Jesus wanted to find handsome people. 
Uh, or, or maybe if I were looking for disciples, I'd probably get like go to Dana White and say, give me your top UFC fighters. Like I, I need some, a defense team. Give me some jiu-jitsu guys and some, uh, you know, like um, I, I want those guys on my team. Or, or Wall Street, get, uh, find some millionaires. Give me, because you need money to function, you know. Like, like these are the guys I would have gone and chose. But Jesus told, uh, told ch- chose, I should say, guys that were kind of the opposite of that. Matthew was the one guy who probably had some money. Um, the other guys were probably pretty broke. Um, and they were also social outcasts in a lot of ways. Um, so instead you get Peter, you know, who had a a foot and mouth disease. (laughs) He would constantly put his foot in his mouth. Um, you know, uh, you know, you got, uh, James and John, I told you already sons of Zebedee. They were also, their nickname was sons of thunder. Uh, which is pretty funny. In fact, Luke chapter nine, uh, verse 54 says, when his disciples, James and John saw this, they said, Lord, will thou, will thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elijah did? Like this is the disciples. Can we fry them, Lord? <laughs> Just like Elijah? <laughs> That's the sons of thunder right there. Um, Jesus, by the way, said no on that one. Um, but, but all that to say, this list of 12s, you know, it's, it just kind of cracks me up, you know, how uh, the Lord, I love thinking about these guys because to see what the Lord does over time with this list of guys, um, it, it, it gives me encouragement because it, it makes me realize, wow, uh, you know, all of us are imperfect. Uh, we're not great. Um, you know, and, and uh, I love, you know, our staff here at Athey Creek. We have a large staff here as, as we're a giant church. And, um, but our staff is not perfect, but they're hardworking and they're, they're sincere and they're following Jesus. And it's, it's so cool. I've, I've been able to watch now that this church is 27 years old. I've been able to watch, you know, um, how the Lord just has grown a lot and matured some of our team and, and, uh, you know, and, and we're all kind of works in progress. And, and this list gives me hope for me and hope for my, uh, my staff and my leadership and our team. None of us are perfect. None of us have it all dialed in, but man, that's part of the requirement, uh, you know, uh, of the Lord, uh, to, to, uh, choose whoever he will. Um, why does the Lord choose these kind of 12 sort of incomplete or loser sort of individuals? I think there's a couple reasons why, why God does this. And, and I'd like to just kind of ask this question just before we dive further. Um, why did Jesus choose these 12 men? Number one reason is I think this is an encouragement for us that you and I realize, wow, if the Lord can use Simon the Zealot or Matthew the Publican uh, or Peter, who's always got foot and mouth disease, um, maybe he can use me. You know, maybe the Lord could use me with my flaws and my idiosyncrasies or my bad habits, you know. Um, Can the Lord use someone who's um, angry and has a temper problem? Well, as it turns out, he used James and John. Can the Lord use uh, someone who was ripping off people? Well, he used Matthew. Like, it's an amazing thing that Jesus says, I'm gonna use that guy, that guy, and that guy. So if Jesus wants us, uh, if he wanted to get the smartest, best-looking, toughest, wealthiest, um, that's what the success would be attributed to. Well, look who I chose. That's why the church is successful. Um, but that's not what Jesus wanted. In fact, um, we know that, you know, the Bible teaches kind of the opposite. In fact, I like the uh, NIV translation of 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. It says, brothers and sisters, um, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. You know, we talk about influencers today. Are you an influencer? Well, none of these people were. Um, Not many were noble of noble birth, 
But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. None of us can say, look what I have done. And look how amazing we are. Um, Athey Creek, we're the first ones to say, wow, um, the reason Athey Creek's blessed out of our minds, God is gracious, super gracious. And he's, he's been so good to us. And we're flawed, imperfect, messed up, tweaked out. But God just says, yeah, I can use that. I can use the weak and the foolish and you know the goofballs. Uh, that's who the Lord chooses. Um, God chose not to use the smartest. I like that. Uh, or the, the, the noble blood or anything like that. Um, here's a question. Here's the better question. Can God use you if you think of yourself as an intellectual or if you think of yourself as beautiful or if you think of yourself as powerful or capable? I, I, I don't know the answer to that. I do know if you're weak and foolish, I, the Lord can use you for sure. But if you're really smart and if you're beautiful and sorry, I don't know. Brett, that's not very nice to say. Well, I, I'm saying it because um, I, wanna, I wanna shake up the beautiful, the smart, the wealthy, because um, I, th I think it's harder. I think you are, it's gonna be required more of you. If you've already got it going on in some of those categories, uh, that's great and good for you. Um, but when it comes to ministry, you're gonna have to work extra hard to, to be humble and to point to Jesus because I, I've just seen this over the years. There's no end to what God can do through a person as long as God gets the credit, as long as God gets the glory. I love the Old Testament story of, of Gideon. You know, There's Gideon afraid of the Midianites and he's threshing wheat in a hole because he's afraid. And, and the Lord says, Gideon, thou mighty man of valor. He's like, you got the wrong guy. Um, and, and, and Lord says, no, I, you're the mighty man of valor. And, 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 and see, I love it because first of all, God sees Gideon in his potential. But the whole point in God choosing Gideon, if you recall, was that the Lord wanted to show, I can save not by many, but by few. Remember, that's the phrase of Judges chapter six there. And so God whittles down the army down to just 300 guys against, you know, 100,000 other enemy soldiers. Like, how's that gonna work out? 300 little goofball, non, you know, Navy SEAL team guys. These are, these are guys that barely know how to hold a sword. And they're, you know, they're grabbing, you know, the, these pitchers and trumpets and, okay, what do we do now? It's like, it's this great story of the Lord saying, watch this. I'm gonna use you 300 so that the Lord will know that I can do whatever I wanna do through whoever I wanna do it through. And so I love that. And if you are smart and powerful and beautiful and all those things, you're gonna have to work extra hard to be used by the Lord, I think, because um, the Lord wants, he wants the glory to go to him, not people go, wow, look at you, you're amazing. That's tricky. Um, and also if you're a loser um, like me, and then you get some success in ministry, then it also becomes hard because, you know, people thought of you as a loser. I, if you only knew how many people walked out of our early services at Athey Creek, and I'm doing the same thing I'm, tonight as I was doing back then, but we had a lot. Like, it's funny how back then when Athey had 25 people at a Wednesday night Bible study, people would walk in and, what is this weird thing, you know? And, and it's like, and what, nobody was like, wow, look at this impressive situation, you know? Um, but then as people piled in, there's people walking, wow, something's going on here. It's like, Atheist has to work extra hard now because uh, just because the Lord's blessed us, we have to kind of say, now let's be really careful to remind people that 
we're no different than what we were back then. The Lord is still just merciful and gracious and his word. Like when people say, wow, look at what's happening here. I always like to say, yeah, but it's, it's, people are hungry for God's word. It's the Lord who's doing a work. It's not us. It's not me. And it's not this false humility. Oh, it's really not me. It's the Lord working through me. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, uh, that I see that. Have you guys seen that? There's people that talk like that in ministry and you're like, ooh, ah. So we have to be extra careful. That's why I appreciate your help with this whole thing. Because um, if, you, if, you, like, if you could lovingly, don't be weird about it, but like if you could say, if somebody says, I'll go over to Brett Metter's church, we'll say, you, can, you have my permission to just say, you know what, Brett's really uncomfortable with that when people call it Brett's church, because that's the last thing it is. It's actually the church of Jesus Christ, and we're part of the church, and Brett's just part of the church. And like, like you gotta help people, because there gets this thing where, that people do. It's not even A.C. Creek's doing it. It's people doing it. Then they're kind of hurting the narrative. And, and uh, what, what A.C. Creekers need to do, good A.C. Creekers, we need to constantly be pointing back to Jesus and saying, wow, look what Jesus is doing through a goofball like Pastor Brett. And boy, if you knew his leadership team, oh, it's amazing. God is miraculous. And wow, you know, that kind of, like if we all did that, we'd be right on the money. So I know this is awkward to talk about it, but I have to. I just really want uh, people to know that the only reason Athey Creek's being blessed right now is because God is amazingly merciful and gracious. And, uh, and I am just happy and humbled to be a part of it. And I think, I think all of you are. I think we all are kind of humbled to say, wow, God is good. Um, so anyway, that's all, all, all that. So why did Jesus choose these 12 men? Number one, the Lord wants to encourage us and say, wow, you can be used. But number two on that list, um, uh, so God gets all the glory. And that's kind of what I already talked about. You know, so, um, so I, I love it. The, these disciples, they encourage me. When I read the stories and the gospel of the disciples, I go, wow, if God could use Peter, he might be able to use me. You know, and, and I love that about the disciples. Um, so all that to say, um, you know, uh, Acts chapter uh, four, verse 13, you see a later disciple. Let me do a, uh, a fast forward. You know how I like to read the end of the story at the end? I'm gonna do a little bit of that right now. Because we know Peter is the stumbling, bumbling disciple, always putting his foot in, foot in his mouth. But fast forward to Acts chapter four, and um, remember they were standing before the Sanhedrin who murdered Jesus on the cross, the Sanhedrin. And they said, you guys stop saying the name of Jesus. And, and, and Peter said, you crucified Jesus, and we're gonna keep, keep talking about Jesus. And it says in Acts 4, 13, now when they, the Sanhedrin, saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. That last phrase, that's the key, that they had been with Jesus. That's what made Peter and John uh, able to be apostles and qualified because they'd spent time with Jesus. That's our qualification too. Um, imperfect, unlearned and ignorant men. You know, it's a dynamic that you and I miss um, is uh, the people from Galilee had an accent that was very clearly recognizable. And if you went to Jerusalem, you would know, oh, those people aren't from Jerusalem, they're from Galilee. Um, and they were sort of deemed as sort of unlearned and ignorant. Um, I, I don't know, I, this is probably bad for me to do this, but you know, like, have you ever uh, seen, like, what's that show, uh, Crocodile Hunters or something like that? And the people in the deep south out there in the bayou and they're living in those little huts and, or little shacks and they have the boat, you know, it's the banjo guy on the Pirates, right? Dur -dur -dur. Dur -dur -dur -dur. Dur -dur. You know that guy? And then you watch the TV show and they're like, there's a gator, get him, gator. You know, it's like, gator, gator. It's like, gator, gator, gator. You're like, what did he just say? Somebody interpret. 
you know? Um, and we're, we kind of look at that group as like, wow, you know? Now, by the way, that's the dude you want if you're in a hurricane and you need help. Uh, like, uh, you need a four-wheel drive and, and somebody who knows how to do stuff, get that guy. Um, not the guy with a thousand PhDs. Um, uh, so I like those guys. I'm a, I'm a fan of those guys. But, but the reason I say that is that the, the people of Galilee to the Jerusalem person said, that's a total hick. That's a hillbilly from Galilee. And they, they deemed them as stupid, uh, unlearned and ignorant. They, they weren't schooled, those people up at Galilee. And um, so that's kind of important. That's why these Sanhedrin from Jerusalem are going, wow, look at these unlearned and ignorant men. And Peter's there, tell you what. <laughs> I, no, he didn't say that. I just, I just made that up. But that's kind of the vibe. Darn tootin'. Uh, or whatever he said. No, no, the, the, the idea is that they, they looked down on Peter, James, and John. They really did. And they marveled that they're unlearned and ignorant, but they said, but, but look, they've been with Jesus. And so they ended up releasing them because there was nothing they could say against what God was doing through these unlearned and ignorant men. I love that. So if you want to be used, don't rely on your skill, your talent, uh, your gifts, um, but rather make sure you have Jesus fill in your life and uh, follow, follow Christ. That's what these guys do. So back to our list of 12 disciples. It's not about your qualifications. The Lord can use you in mighty ways, uh, no matter who you are. That's one of the things we learn. Um, and so all that to say, uh, Jesus told, chose fishermen, tax collectors, zealot, quiet, uh, reserved people that were afraid of others, uh, bold people, loud and obnoxious people. Like it's an amazing, the plethora of people in this 12. Um, and keeping them all working together in one unit. That, that, I wish I could have seen that more up close. Keeping everybody getting along and happy. Jesus did that. Um, so what I love about that is the different people that you have in this list, the, the, the juxtaposition of everybody. I love the variation we have here at Athey Creek. Um, I like that we have old and young. Um, I heard a pastor talking about how the churches aren't ministering to the young anymore. And I love the day that we have a lot of young people and we have a ton, we have tons of young people and we have tons of old people and kind of a nice mix. Uh, I think it's kind of cool. Uh, we have singles and we have family members and husbands and wives. We've got different nationalities and races. Um, you know, we have people who like country music and metal and classical and um, people that drive Teslas and Priuses and people that drive F-250 diesels that have been deleted. Um, um, <laughs> <laughs> if you know what that means. Um, uh, we have got people showing up at church with motorcycles. And do you see the, the family? Uh, I, I love Dan and his family. They came in on horses the other day. Uh, it, was, it was so great. The whole church was like looking out the window. Hey, look at those people are coming to church on their horses. You know, uh, that's Athey Creek right there. <laughs> tell you what. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> Let's see, where was I? Okay, back to the choosing of the 12. Now, that brings us to <laughs> the second section of this chapter. Uh, so we have the, the 12 you know, called and chosen by Jesus, but now we see the 12 being commissioned by Jesus, and that's verses five through 15. These 12, verse five, Jesus sent forth, that's apostle right there, sent forth and commanded them saying, go into the way of the Gentiles and into any city of Samaritans, enter ye not. Oh, pardon me, I, I totally messed that up. Go not into the way of the Gentiles and uh, any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not. Um, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now pause right there just for a second. Um, you might say, Brett, what, what's this? Jesus said, we must needs go through Samaria. Jesus broke his own rule. 
But you have to understand, Jesus has a very clear method and plan of how he's gonna reach people. And it was a perfect plan because Jesus is perfect. Um, but uh, some people have used this to say, see, the, the, you know, the Jewish plan and the Messiah was never for Gentiles. And there's people that actually use this verse to make that argument. That's not a good argument. Uh, and, and the reason why is real simple. Just read your Bible. Read the rest of the Bible. Read the whole story. It's like you take this little verse out of context of the whole story, you'll think that Jesus was saying, yeah, don't talk to Gentiles and don't talk to Samaritans. But we know that he did talk to Gentiles. And so far, we've already seen him heal and love on Gentiles. We, so let's, let's remember the context of the story. What this is saying is disciples, you guys are beginners. And we're gonna take this slowly, uh, but I'm, I don't want you going to Samaritan towns or Gentile villages yet. I want you to focus on the lost sheep of Israel is kind of the idea there. Um, and, uh, and, um, and then verse seven, it says, and as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. <laughs> this is great. Now, um, now uh, by the way, um, you know, before we get into this methodology that he's giving them, uh, it really reminds me, and I, I'm reminded of what Paul told the elders in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20, verses 19 through 21. In fact, keep your finger here in Matthew 10 and just flip over maybe a quarter of an inch to the right in your Bible to the book of Acts chapter 20. And Paul said, this is how I ministered among the people. And you're gonna see a correlation. Paul's ministry was very much like what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples early in their ministry as he's sending them out. It's the same attitude, same heart. It's Acts 20, verse 19. Paul says, you know, you know I've been with you in all these seasons, verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and also to the Greeks or Gentiles, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, here's Paul giving a really, this is worth, if you're wanting to be in ministry, you know, there's like a, you know, seven point teaching right there of seven things that Paul did in how he ministered to the saints. And it's, it's worth studying and, and med, uh, meditating on as you're preparing yourself. But um, even now he says, how I've kept nothing back that was profitable unto you. In other words, uh, later on he'd say, you know, I've given you the full counsel of God, uh, all the scripture. I haven't skipped through. That's again, why Athe Creek goes verse by verse through the Bible, because we don't want to skip anything, go through everything. Um, and so, um, you know, Paul said stuff with many tears. There are some things that are really positive, but there's also some heavy stuff. A lot of churches today only want to talk about the fun stuff and the happy stuff, and they won't talk about the difficult things. Um, but you know what's interesting about, in just my observation in these days we're living, because these are difficult times in a lot of ways, but um, I'm noticing the pastors that aren't talking about the difficult topics. They're just like, ah, oh, it's too divisive or too, um, you know, um, uh, I don't know, controversial. And uh, so that we're just not gonna go there. We're only gonna talk about the gospel and we're not gonna talk about controversial stuff. Well, the gospel is controversial, as it turns out, but so is the Bible. The whole Bible is controversial in a lot of ways. But I think what's happening, and, and pastors are wondering, why are, no, why are people bailing out of my church? And why is our church spiraling right now as churches across America are dying? What's going on there? 
people are hurting. People are dealing with controversial subjects. People are trying to figure out what to do at work when they're being forced to do this or forced to say that or have this worldview about homosexuality or uh, transgender or legal. People are like, like, what do we do? Uh, we're all kind of confused, but praise the Lord, we have the Bible because the Bible, gives, it's the compass. It tells us where true north is. And in a difficult time, where the winds are blowing left and right and all over the place, you and I, we need the scriptures. And, and so these churches that are only doing the fun stuff, they're leaving their congregations really kind of vulnerable and they're not dealing with real world problems. Um, I think sometimes we lose touch with that. But Paul says, man, uh, I have kept back nothing, verse 20, that was profitable for you. And, um, and then in verse 20, it says, and I have kept back nothing that was profitable, but have check this out, have showed you and have taught you publicly from house to house. Man, Paul was all about showing and then teaching. Uh, he did the showing part first. Um, that's so important for us in ministry. If, if we're in ministry, we need to be doing what we're preaching, not just talking about it. Uh, he said, first I showed you, then I taught you. There's a great order there. And effective evangelism is to do that. If you wanna be effective in your work, your neighborhood, your school, your family, you've, especially mom and dad, this is huge, show and then uh, teach and tell. A lot of parents tell their kids what to do, but then they don't do it themselves and they wonder why their kids don't trust them or don't wanna listen to them. Uh, you've gotta be who you're supposed to be first. So um, that's part of the deal. And Jesus is gonna do this, obviously, with the disciples. Jesus is first gonna show them what to do, and then he's gonna teach them what to do. Just like Paul, you know, Paul's learning, I think, from Jesus here. Um, so how are you doing on that? If you're called to be an apostle sent out, are you being like Jesus? Are you acting like Jesus? Because first you gotta show before you just tell. And if you're in your neighborhood or at work or at your school trying to say, hey, love Jesus, be, accept Christ and be a Christian. But if your lifestyle doesn't really match up with that, people are gonna kind of say, yeah, whatever. You're not living that. So you kind of have to show first, then tell. That's what we learned from Paul. Well, back to Matthew. I want you to see that because it's gonna be similar to this, this um, challenge. He says there back in Matthew 10, seven, as you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, um, what's interesting about that um, is uh, this idea of, of um, you know, Jesus uh, saying, don't, don't just go out to the Gentiles. He's basically start with your home Jews first. Go with the Jews first. And it's an order of events because ultimately we know Jesus is going to talk about going into all the world and preach the gospel. But right now he's keeping it more localized. And sometimes, sometimes that's what the Lord would have you do. I should be a missionary in Africa. Maybe you should tell your neighbors about Jesus. Um, you know, I think there's more people that need Jesus, in my opinion, than there are in Africa because um, in Portland is lost. Portland is one of the most irreligious cities in America. It's where we live, our back door, right here. Um, and in Africa, when I go there, um, uh, like in Burkina Faso, you know, there's a battle between Islam and Christianity, but man, there's Christians everywhere. And, and man, if you're a Christian in Burkina Faso, usually you're pretty radical and you're following Christ. And like, it takes a, a real commitment to be a Christ follower in, in Burkina Faso. Um, but here in o Oregon, man, uh, we've got work to do. So you, maybe some of us, instead of thinking, I'm gonna be on the mission field, maybe we should think about how we can be more effective here Locally, And that's kind of what Jesus is saying by saying um, that, you know, stick around with the Jews. Don't go out to the Samaria, Samaria or the Gentiles. Acts chapter one 
Jesus talked about there was a time coming when you will receive power. The Greek word dunamis there for power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall go out and witness? No. It says, and you shall be witnesses. That's part of that showing first. You shall be witnesses to me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Um, and so that's kind of cool because Jesus, you know, he, when he said this, basically Christianity was barely in Galilee and barely in Jerusalem when he said this. But would the gospel reach the uttermost parts of the earth? That's the question. And you know what? We're living in a day that's shockingly, like there's not a place on the earth. I've been to places that were some of the last places where the gospel reached in the South Pacific, Tad Marna, or, you know, down there in uh, Vanuatu. Like, uh, you know, I remember hiking, a, we took a plane flight from Los Angeles to Auckland, New Zealand, from Auckland, New Zealand to Fiji, to Fiji, to Vanuatu. And then that was at uh, Ifate, the main island. And then you take a, a puddle jump with chickens and goats and stuff on the plane from Fort Vila to uh, Sant, or I went to Pentecost, this island that's out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and then you land on this big bumpy grass runway. And, uh, and when you get there, they weigh you and they charge you your flight on how much you weigh. When I walked in, they're like, oh, wow, like, ka -ching, you know, it's like, um, but like this, this is, this is remote. And then we got in this little boat with a little motor and went around the island because it was so hard to hike to a certain place. And then we hiked over a volcano and dropped down. Like it was way out in the middle of nowhere. And we went to this little town called Boonlap. And I thought, this is the most remote place on the whole earth. It took me like, like five days just to get to that point. But however, after hiking over the volcano, dropping in naked people with spears and bones in their noses, it was like totally like that. National Geographic. Um, and I thought, man, this is surely a place where no white man has ever been. And I went into their camp and I had an interpreter and the guy said, yeah, there was a white guy here last year. And um, as it turns out, um, it was my buddy, Jim Corson, who was there the year before. Uh, and, and we were, uh, long story short, I looked, there was all these little mud huts or huts and you know thatched roofs and stuff in the jungle. But behind one of the hut was a satellite dish. <laughs> And uh, I cracked up thinking, wow, even in Boonlap, they've got a satellite dish. Uh, and their connection, mainly they did that because of uh, weather and tsunamis and they wanted to know reports and you know, stuff like the cyclones. And so they stayed aware of what was going on. But, but really there's not many places in the world the gospel's reached. And you know, um, when I was a kid, um, I was in sixth grade <laughs> and, and uh, my, my, my pastor, he was teaching this junior high pastor or junior high pastor. Uh, no, it was actually a high school retreat and I snuck in as a junior hire. They thought I was older. So even though I was in sixth grade, I went to this high school retreat um, and we were there and the pastor went around and was just praying over each of us. And when, when the pastor came to me, he said, uh, he was praying, Lord bless Brett. And then, and then he said, Brett, I feel like the Lord is telling me that you're gonna be teaching the Bible someday and you're going to have evangelism. People are gonna accept Christ. And he just kind of said that. It wasn't weird or heebie-jeebie, but I just remember thinking, hmm, we'll see about that one. Um, but it's so cool to be, and, and, and I have to say this uh, because, um, and I'm gonna say it tonight, because I already told you that the Lord chooses to use the weak and the foolish things of the world. That's why I've been able to do this. But I just wanna show you this because if the Lord can use a goofball like me, the Lord can use all of us. And, and then to see what the Lord's done, not just through just coming up, moving to Portland, starting to teach the Bible, but what the Lord's doing through this whole fellowship and through you guys and through all, all Athey Creek gets to be a part of something that I thought would, I, I really did not have a vision for large, the large impact. Um, 
the, some of the guys that do our uh, live stream work and all of our online stuff, um, they were saying, Brett, you know, last year we reached much of the world uh, in kind of an interesting way, just with our website. If you know, if you, if you watch us live online, you can go to YouTube. That's the number one. Like, uh, like, like 90% of our viewers come from YouTube live. Um, then there's, there's a small percentage of people that watch from our website live. Um, but they, they showed me this map, and I wanted to show you guys this. This is a map of just, this, just the past year of people that are watching live just on our website. Like, we can't really track the YouTube viewers. Um, we don't know. There's, and there's way more of them than there are uh, people on the website. But these are just in the past year. I, there's a few people there in the United States. Uh, you kind of lose track of the little dots. We probably need to make smaller dots than that. But, um, but like, just to see where, the, where people are listening to through the Bible teaching, it's just kind of really encouraging. And, the, and that's part of what we all are a part of, you know, as a church. Uh, like, this whole congregation here in Little West Lynn, uh, we're able to, through the resources of this congregation, kind of make a dent in this going into all the world and preaching the gospel. And I just wanted you to know a bit part of that. Yeah, thank the Lord for that. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a huge, huge blessing. <laughs> And we still have a lot of work to do. So uh, it makes you wonder, because the YouTube crowd, like where are they all watching and coming from? Uh, that's a, kind of an interesting question. Be that as it may, I digress. Uh, let's get back to it. So, uh, so we see number, number two, the 12 being commissioned. Let's keep reading there. Um, uh, it says there um, in verse seven, uh, so it says, preach the kingdom of heaven and it is at hand. Well, the kingdom of heaven wasn't at hand. Uh, uh, you know, the rapture of the church hadn't happened, so that's a lie. People will say that, by the way. Why is that incorrect? When Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is at hand, why is that? People will say, well, the kingdom hasn't come yet. Anybody? He's talking about himself. He's the king, okay? Jesus is the king of the kingdom of heaven, and he's there. He's, the disciples were supposed to go and say, the kingdom of heaven is at hand because the king of kings is standing in our midst right now. Um, and by the way, uh, some people get stumbled. We'll see in Matthew later on where, uh, you know, uh, he'll talk about, you won't die until you see the kingdom of heaven, you know, in its glory kind of thing. And, and, and then people say, well, Jesus died and they never went to the kingdom. Uh, that's part of the answer that Jesus is the king of the kingdom. And when he was transfigured, uh, they saw Jesus in his glory in his kingdom. So we'll talk about that uh, when we get there in Matthew 17. Um, but... Boy, I, I've just got so much I want to say, but I'm running out of time. Um, let's talk about the word preach just for a second, because it says go and preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, the word preach uh, is, is an interesting word, keruso in the Greek. And uh, this word means to be a herald, to publish, and to openly proclaim to preach the kingdom of heaven. That's what these guys were supposed to do. And when we're called in the Great Commission to go out and preach, it's the same thing. We're supposed to preach the gospel. Um, the kingdom of heaven is a little separate in the sense that they were preaching Jesus is among us. We're supposed to preach um, the gospel, the good news about what Jesus did on the cross. And we're supposed to publish, to proclaim openly, uh, and to uh, be a herald of, of the gospel. Well, verse eight goes on and it says, um, go and do that and heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, Freely you have received, freely give. Um, Jesus is giving them this great challenge to go and do the things he's been doing. And he's giving them the authority and the power to do that, uh, which is so cool. And then he goes in verse nine, provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses. 
uh, nor scrip for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. Now, this is interesting because um, he says, go and do these great miracles like I've been doing, healing the lepers, or cleansing the leper, healing the sick and those things, delivering people from demons and devils. Um, but, um, and those are awesome. Jesus calls them to do that. But um, it's funny how televangelists, especially in the 80s, they didn't, they didn't read verse nine part. Uh, neither, uh, don't provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses. Uh, you know, I think that's funny. These guys were called to just say, you know what? We're gonna let the Lord provide as we go. The Lord will provide and we're not gonna make money an issue in our ministry. And that's, that's, that's the way I think the Bible tells us to do it. We don't make it about the money, uh, um, but a workman's worthy of his hire. That's what it says here. Um, worthy of his meat. Later on, the scripture will say workman is worthy of his hire. Um, so there is a place for that financial part, but not to be about that. Um, one controversial thing you'll bump into, by the way, is some of the other gospel writers sort of uh, seem to disagree. Are they supposed to carry a stick or not carry a stick? And there's uh, entire papers that have been written. Did the disciples carry sticks or did they not carry sticks? Um, <laughs> and uh, I would just say, let's not get hung up on things that are not that important. Uh, well, stick or not to stick? Well, that's the question. Um, now, uh, one of the things, I, I'm gonna have to try to say this over and over, but the gospel writers, they, they have different perspectives. And, and some might say, it's contradiction. Nope, I think it's a different in perspective. perspective. And, and whether they carried a staff with them in some situations, maybe they did. In other situations, maybe they didn't. But a perspective can be diff different depending on who you are. Um, if I were a building official and came to your house and said, you're, you're building a house, let's say, and I say, you only get one stall for a garage. <laughs> what do you do? How do you feel at that moment? Well, it depends on your perspective. If you're living in Lake Oswego or West Lynn, you're kind of bummed because, man, I was planning on a five-car garage. Uh, got the boat and the jet skis and the Lamborghini and the, you know, or whatever, whatever. I got the five-car garage or whatever. Um, and you're bummed. But, but if you live in downtown Portland in the Pearl District, and the building official comes and says, you can build one car garage. You'd be like, yes, at least I got one. Because a lot of times you get none uh, down there and they want you to take TriMet. Uh, so, so it's kind of, that's probably a horrible example. I don't know. I, um, um, but to Matthew, um, to Matthew, who was wealthy, he was a wealthy publican and lived in a nice house and had parties all the time. Uh, do you think, like, he kind of says here, bring nothing for your journey. Only one pair of shoes. Uh, not two coats. Like to Matthew, that was nothing. If you're a podunk hick from Galilee and the Lord says, you get to bring a pair of shoes. Wow, we get to wear a pair of shoes. You see that there's different perspectives. That's what I'm just saying. It depends on your perspective. Um, there's no contradictions in the Bible. I'm just gonna stand on that and we'll see that as we get going. Uh, verse 11, it says, and, um, and into whatsoever city, town you shall enter, um, inquire who in it is worthy and there abide till you go thence. And when you come into a house, salute it, you know, be, be cordial and uh, courteous. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come on it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. In other words, if they don't receive you and they hate you, then just don't stick around. Um, don't beat them over the head with the Bible is kind of a, maybe one way we'd put it. Um, um, 
And if, verse 13, the house be worthy, let your peace be covenant. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart out of that house or city, shake the dust off your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Oh, this is when you're a Jehovah's Witness. You're supposed to shake the dust off your feet. Uh, have you seen that? Is it, how many of you guys have seen a Jehovah's Witness shake the dust off their feet? Yeah, it's a thing that JW has kind of made a big deal of, uh, even though they're like the Jehovah's Witness, uh, they, they are very different. Uh, they're not Christianity. Um, it's, it's, there's a reason why we call it a cult. And the reason is because they believe in a different Jesus than the one we believe in the Bible. But Jehovah's Witnesses are the ones who made this shake the dust off your feet thing famous. Because if you have the older Jehovah's Witness and the younger, you know, they, they came in two by two, and they'd knock on your door, and then they would, uh, if you want to, I'm, I'm not trying to be mean, but if you want to see this, all you have to do is they'll say, you know, here's your watch, we'd like to give you this Watchtower magazine, and here's what you say. You say, you know what, I really don't want that magazine, because I believe in the Holy Spirit, and, and the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Trinity. If you say that, They'll shake their little feet and they'll walk away. Um, it's, a, I'm just, it's an easy way to get rid of them. My grandfather back in the early 1900s used a shotgun uh, to get rid of the joke. I'm not condoning that, I'm, I'm just, but there was a different era back then. It's like, get out of these parts. You know, that was my grandpa. Uh, but I just say, Trinity, and they're like, oh, shake the dust off there. Now, what's this? what was Jesus really saying? Well, shaking your dust off your feet, this was actually a, an act of judgment, believe it or not. Um, it was actually something Jesus was using from Judaism. The Jews would walk through Gentile towns, and then when they got to the edge of the Gentile town, they would stop and make a demonstration of shaking the Gentile dust off their feet because they didn't want anything to do with Gentiles because they knew that they were gonna be judged for being Gentiles, uh, fuel for the fire of hell. Um, so when Jesus employs this, this is actually something they're aware of. Um, and we even, some people even use this as a idiom today. Oh, just shake the dust off your feet and move on. Um, and, and people that don't even know their Bible know, oh, that means uh, just, just say, yeah, these people, they're gonna get theirs, uh, but I'm, I'm gonna not let it bother me and I'm gonna just keep plugging away. That's kind of the, the way we use that in our terms today. But Jesus is saying this, he's saying, don't let it offend you if they reject you or hate you or despise you, but uh, shake it off and move on to the town where they do receive you. That's, that's what Jesus is saying here in shaking off the dust. Um, and you say, well, how is it gonna be worse for those people that reject the disciples than the Sodom and Gomorrah? Sodom and Gomorrah was judged with fire and brimstone and they all died. Can't get worse than that. Yes, it can. Um, the people here that reject Jesus, the Messiah, are gonna die and go to hell for all eternity. That's why it's gonna be worse for these people than it would be for Sodom and Gomorrah. People don't like that, what I just said? Tough, it's in the Bible, it's what the Bible teaches. Um, and that's why he says it's gonna be better for the men of Sodom and Gomorrah than for you if you reject the gospel message of Jesus. Well, verse 16, behold, I send you uh, forth as sheep in the midst of wolves, be ye therefore wise as serpents, and harmless as doves. Um, what a good word, you know, especially in today because, you know, we as Christians are largely among wolves. There's, there's a lot of wolves uh, that are against Christianity and some of them are even within the church so-called of Jesus Christ, some of the wolves. How do you know a wolf? It's like what they like to eat. And if they're eating Christians and like to eat sheep, then you know they're a wolf. So um, this is the idea of uh, um, something my dad used to teach me. It's the same kind of vein. He'd say, Brett, don't let people mistake your Christian love and kindness for stupidity. 
And I think sometimes we do that because we think, oh, we always have to be loving and we always have to you know, be accommodating. And even if they're you know, doing this or that, um, no, be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. And there's kind of a balance there, gracious and loving, but don't mistake, don't let people mistake Christian love for stupidity. Verse 17, but beware of men for they will deliver you up to the councils. They will scourge you in their synagogues and you shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them, that, uh, them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought of, uh, of how, um, how or what you shall speak. For it will be given to you in the same hour what you shall speak. For uh, it is not you that speak, but the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of your Father, which speaketh in you. So this is where we sort of move in this section. Um, verses 16 that we've been in here all the way uh, um, uh, into toward the end of the chapter, really. Um, we have the 12 cautioned. Jesus is now going to caution and warn about wolves, um, about the uh, people who want to you know, destroy the, 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 the gospel. And these are going to be the, 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 martyred, the martyrs of the first part of the Christian church. Um, so don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to speak. That's kind of what he's saying there. Well, verse 21, um, and the brother shall deliver up the brother to death and the father, the child and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Um, many of the, the apostles, these guys would be martyred. In fact, the traditions, if you read church history, Matthew was slain with a sword in Ethiopia. Um, Mark was killed at Alexandria down in Egypt after being dragged through the streets as they do in that region of the world. Uh, Luke would be hung on an olive tree in Greece of all places. John, they tried to kill them with a cauldron of oil boiling hot and they put him in there, but it seems that God supernaturally protected John. John just sat there and nothing happened to him. And so they ended up exiling him. He's the only of the disciples who didn't die, you know, a martyrous death. Um, Peter was crucified upside down on a cross in Rome. James uh, was the greater, was beheaded in Jerusalem. James the less, um, uh, there's, there's controversy about James, by the way, whether he's beheaded uh, in Jerusalem or um, uh, sawn in half. Uh, there's a part of history that says he was sawn in half with a wooden saw lengthwise. Uh, uh, horrible, horrible way to go. Um, James the Less was thrown from the pinnacle of the temple and beaten to death with a club after that. Bartholomew, uh, uh, he was literally skinned alive. Um, Andrew was bound to a cross and uh, he preached for what his history says, like, like days he preached hanging from a cross, preached uh, as he was hanging on the cross. Thomas was run through with a spear in East Indies. Um, you know, Jude in the, in the New Testament was shot to death with arrows. Uh, Matthias was stoned and beheaded. Barnabas was stoned to death. Paul, of course, was tortured and beheaded in Rome by Caesar Nero. You say, well, Brett, that doesn't sound like a very successful uh, endeavor. Um, but it was through the martyrs of the Christian church. Man, if you haven't read Fox's book of martyrs, you're missing out on Christian history. That's, it's, it's bleak in some ways, but it's incredible and glorious in another way. Um, do you think any one of those guys in heaven regret dying martyrous deaths for, for, the, for the cause of Christ? They knew Jesus was real. They knew he rose from the grave. They knew heaven is real and hell is real. And that's why these guys didn't waver. They, they were 
completely convinced that Jesus was who he claimed to be. And that's, that's pretty important. Well, verse 23 goes on. Uh, but when they persecute you in this city, flee into another. For verily I say unto you, you shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? And this is really what happened. You remember they would say to Jesus, you're delivering these guys from the demons with the power of Satan or Beelzebub. Um, by the way, sometimes Beelzebub is, it means uh, Lord of the flies, but Beelzebul, you'll see that one, which means the Lord of the dung, which is kind of interesting. But it's, it's basically another name for Satan or Lucifer. Um, and basically that's what they're doing. They're calling, they're doing the age old thing that the world likes to do, calling good evil and evil good. Uh, and that's what Jesus says, they're gonna do that. Um, just like Isaiah 5:20, woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light, light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So right now, if you're a person who says children should not be exposed to sexual things like um, you know, cross-dressing, transgender uh, you know, parties and stuff like this, uh, you are a horrible person. You're a bigoted, homophobe, blah, blah, blah. You're hated, but actually you're the good one. You're actually saying, here's what the Bible says. Here's what God's word says about that. So that's, that's really what happens. They're calling the disciples people of Beelzebub, just like they did Jesus. Verse 26, we gotta hurry. Fear them not therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. Um, and uh, um, so it goes on, verse 27, and what I tell you in darkness, that speak in light. And what you hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. You know, the Lord will reveal to you in quiet the things you're supposed to speak publicly. And fear not them which are, uh, kill the body, uh, but, the, uh, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy the both soul and the body in hell. Um, are, you not, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? One of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. Um, the, a farthing is just pennies, is the idea there. But, verse 30, but the very hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than the sparrows. Uh, environmentalism, the extreme environmentalism uh, puts animals and stuff and birds and stuff over humanity. Um, that's a very uh, wrong thing. The Bible says, are you not more valuable than many sparrows, snowy plovers, spotted owls, or whatever the endangered species is of the week? Um, uh, you're more important than they are. Uh, not to say that we're against birds because the Lord cares about the birds, but you're more important than the birds. Um, I just have to say that. Uh, that's important to know. Well, uh, whosoever, verse 32, therefore shall confess, um, um, confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father, which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I deny before my Father, which is in heaven. Um, if you're a Christian, you gotta kind of be part about saying, I, I believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Uh, the last thing you wanna do is deny your faith in Christ. Um, well, what if I did? Am I going to hell? Peter did that. Remember, Peter denied even knowing Jesus. And guess what? Peter uh, is in heaven right now. So the idea is you don't wanna be in a condition of denying uh, in your lifetime. You wanna, you wanna repent of that and accept and, and confess Christ. Well, verse 34, think not that I'm come to send peace on the earth. Now, this is really interesting. People that think Jesus was just petunias and rainbows and stuff. Read this. Think that I'm not come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. 
For I am come to set a man at variance against his father and daughter against her mother and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Um, this, this is a radical statement. Uh, we have to be careful with this because some people will, um, you know, you say, well, if you deny Jesus, are you gonna go to hell? Well, remember Peter. Um, but in verse 34, you can't say God is not into warfare, judgment, and wrath. This is one of the things we forget about God. Uh, when he returns, when Christ returns, he's coming with a sword and coming out of his mouth and a sickle that he's gonna plunge into the nations of the world. Like, like he's a warrior. The Lord is mighty in battle. The Lord is a warrior. And Jesus, when he be, becomes even the humble Messiah here in his first coming, he's reminding them that um, when you choose to follow Christ, it, you have to choose to follow him wholly and completely. And there's gonna be people that will pull you away from Christ, say, don't follow Christ. Like your mother or father might say that. Um, some of you in this room have mothers and fathers that hate the fact that you are Christian today. I hear stories all the time. Uh, some of you moms and dads have kids that hate you because you're Christians and they think you're wacko and you're just old school and you're following the old traditions and, and your kids think you're a weirdo. Um, this is what Jesus is saying. Um, that father, mother, sister, brother is gonna be divided um, because some people just refuse to believe and accept. That's what's being taught here. Well, Verse 38, and he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. He that loses his life for my sake shall find it. We talked about this whole thing on Sunday. Uh, if you missed Sunday's teaching, Saturday's teaching, uh, you can go back and pick that up. But a hugely important verse right there. Verse 40, he that receiveth you receiveth me. And he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he that receiveth a righteous man in the name of righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. Um, this is uh, just quickly, because we're running out of time. The prophet uh, of the New Testament, we've already talked about this and we'll talk more about it. A prophet of the New Testament isn't like a prophet of the Old Testament who's telling the future and stuff like that. Uh, the prophet of the New Testament is somebody who's giving a word of edification, exhortation and comfort, largely what preachers and pastors do today. Um, but how did they receive the prophets of the Old Testament? Some people received them well, but most people received them not so well. So this is what Jesus is sort of talking about. The way you receive the disciples or the way the disciples would be received, don't be shocked. There's gonna be people receiving you different, but the, the people that receive you well will be given a good reward is what Jesus said. And we often attribute this to children, but I think Jesus might be still talking contextually about his, his own disciples in verse 42. And whosoever shall give uh, to drink one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. So what we have here is basically, um, you know, Jesus saying, uh, you know, if you're blessing my disciples by giving them a drink of water, it's not children as much here, even though it's called little ones. We'll see other passages where Jesus says, bless the little children too. Um, I'm reminded of that final, the final verse I'll give you today is Hebrews 6.10. This is, this is what Jesus is basically saying to his disciples. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and your labor of love, which you have showed toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. God's gonna reward his servants who are serving the church. And the disciples, they were martyred, but they, they were, they'll be given great reward in eternity. God is not gonna forget the work that they did, nor will he forget yours, so there it is. Wow, I went way longer than I planned. Sorry about that. 
uh, uh, but uh, we'll keep it a little shorter next time. I see people starting to get a little heavy eyes and the, the drool is a dead giveaway. You know. <laughs> no, no, you guys are great uh, to be able to take this long, tedious study. Lord, we're so thankful uh, to be able to go through the word and cover scripture. Lord, I pray that you bring good fruit in our lives. Give us better understanding of these scriptures, Lord. And as we go through the rest of Matthew, um, Lord, may we apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.